Do an intro for me, please. Uh, I gotta shake my uh, head here and wake up a bit. <laughs> uh, did a lot of listening there. I'm not used to listening so much and not talking. My bad. Okay. 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 Hey everybody, welcome to episode 90 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined once again by my co-host Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. We also have Jaime Lopez over there in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And as we record on May 4th, may the 4th be with you. And with you, Tim. And with you. All right, so say we all. Oh, shit. No, no, different show. (laughs) Thank you for catching me there, and many time. All right, so do we Wait, want? What to- show is that from? Battlestar <sighs> Galactica. Oh my god, dude! Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, probably, he probably watches that other one. What's Babylon Five? No, I don't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I watched like three episodes of that. Okay, so uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before that we talked a little bit about the Apple Music API. And it was something that we sort of mentioned obliquely as a thing that appears to now be available. Well. Uh, last Thursday, so if we did mention it last week, then it was immediately after we recorded last week. Apple published a newsletter to its affiliate uh, users, and they announced that there is a new, quote-unquote, Apple Music API. And so this article we got in the show notes from MacStories.net gives a little bit of detail about it, and uh, it seems to be just for iOS 9.3, And it seems to be fairly limited, but they still want to put the word out in some way to developers that now is the time to start building apps with using the Apple Music API. I've, you know, in the uh, moments leading up to the recording tonight, I was browsing around developer.apple.com looking for information about this thing. I had no luck at all, Um, aside from what I had found in the show where we talked about this the first time. The stuff about using MP Music Player, or Movie Player, sorry. Remember that? Is this, yeah, it was two, yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, even better. So it doesn't seem like there actually is anything new, which is really unfortunate because if you recall, I was a little shocked that there was such a thing as an Apple Music API. Um, but given that there is, it seems to be a very limited API that will allow you to um, check in that someone actually is a member of Apple Music, um, what see what country that their account is based in, um, and then... Uh, queue up songs based on um, song IDs, but there's no real ability to uh, to show or do anything with a catalog or the music library itself. Mm-hmm. So any hope that you might have had of creating like a better iTunes on the Mac, for example, shot to hell because you know not only does the API not provide it, but it's even iOS 9.3 only doesn't appear to be on the Mac. So mm. there's my follow up for that. Okay, cool. Does it's not cool, man. It's stupid. Dumb. I, so. I mean, it's an API that does some stuff, right? Yeah, but it's not new. <laughs> That's the thing. Apparently, it's not new. We were just <laughs> looking at this two weeks ago. They announced it as something new last week, and there's nothing new. And also, right. once more, iOS only. Mm-hmm. <sighs> got to start somewhere. Um, the one thing that was uh, new to me, and Tim, I don't remember if this was on one of the shows or if maybe you and I were chatting about this on Twitter, um, but there is a constant problem of like, hey, the ID for Bat Dance 
in the U.S. Yes. is completely different than the ID for bat dance in the U.K. Right. or Canada, Zimbabwe, what have you. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, the um, Apple Music Toolbox provides a geo prefix for content, so you, it will do the mapping and assuming it's actually in your uh, your country's uh, store, then it will find it for you. So automatically, that's cool. Yeah, that, I heard that the other day too. I think. By the way, this was we were talking about App Store Review Guidelines History dot com, which is the site that um, creates a diff of the changes in Apple re- uh, guidelines for people. And I guess the, on April nineteenth, things were rolled out differently than they were before. That's what we were talking about. So I want to give a shout out to our um, friend of the show, Michael Thomas, who runs a video blog vlog called iOS Real, and he's been talking, I've seen a few shows of his in the past, he talks about uh, challenges of being indie developers, just like we do uh, on More Than Just Code, and um, he went and did a a piece where he um, listed his favorite 10 or so podcasts and rated them, and, and he selected our podcast as number one, so we really want to thank him for the support and for making that selection and building up the blog. Thanks for that. It's definitely much appreciated, right? Like, uh, it's uh, it's great to have folks, you know, appreciate the work that we do, and uh, I'm very I'm very flattered. So, you know, mm-hmm. thank you, Michael. Yeah, thanks for your support, for sure, for sure. Eh? We actually had feedback on episode 89 that I hadn't noticed. Oh, from um, uh, Jesse Catterwall Jesse. talking about the bring your own team topic. I guess I have to watch this video. So it looks like a friend of the show, Jesse Catterwall, is. Uh, has lived uh, the whole like take your team with you sort of thing where they they worked on a game project mm-hmm. um, that didn't work out and then it looks like they're well employing two different things one is that uh, having a team that moves from business to business uh, keeping that that solidarity and that continuity going forward mm-hmm. um, and uh, Jesse brings up something I hadn't really considered which is you can actually probably have like housing together if you want. Um, hmm. There's mention of like, well, you know, prices are rising. You know, Silicon Valley, for example, we've, we've talked about multiple times that it's pretty pricey over there. But if you all are roommates and share there, and I guess it could be a tax write-off if your company's there, for all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also things like, well, maybe housing will change going forward, right? Like having you know teammates there in your own house doesn't give you quite enough independence. Um, apartments and condos can give you some independence, but don't provide enough like studio space where you can get together and and like co working space, right? So if you could somehow have a co working space that's you know, communal areas and yet have your own individual living area kind of close by, that's probably the ideal in the future. Where's my notes? Where are your notes, Tim? Look to Ryan Renna then. Yes, so uh, I ran into. I'm going to talk about NS North in a little bit, but I ran into Ryan Rena at uh, um, NS North this weekend. And he's. Uh, I met him actually on the way to WWDC 2014, I think. And he's from Toronto. He's a developer here in this in the city. He's worked for a couple of startups, and he was showing me his brand new, uh, as Joseph Lindsay calls it, baby uh, iPad. No, baby Pro, baby Pro. Um, 9.7 inch uh, iPad Pro, and so I wanted to see what the True Tone, True Tone display was all about. So we opened, you know, I brought up my large size iPad Pro, and he brought up the little one, and we played around with the True Tone thing and tried to see what the differences were. But afterwards, he sent me this article here from uh, Anantech. 
that talks about what it is that makes True Tone what it is. Because it's not just about viewing, um, as we talked about on the show when we talked about this, uh, which is why this is follow-up. It's not just about making the colors look um, good inside and outside and in different kinds of lighting areas, but it also supports uh, a much wider gamut on color. And as Ryan points out, the uh, it's the only device, mobile device, I believe, that supports the DCI-P3 gamut support, which is the same thing as on 4K television sets and that kind of, and that kind of thing. So um, I have a, a long history of color management from my pre-press days, and so I know all about print gamuts and that kind of stuff and how, how hard they are to match and stuff. But uh, So this is quite a right, wide range of, of colors that the True Tones display supports. Um, as well as you know, making uh, colors certain colors richer, darker, you know, deeper blacks, which is always a challenge on a, on a light source driven display and that kind of stuff. So that was an interesting article there. We'll put it in the show notes for any of those people out there who really want to see what's going on with the color in a true tone display. So did you have your iPad side by side with his, and then did you look at it, and did you want to tear your iPad in half? No, not at all. Um, okay. I did look at it. It's a little bit like, um, I mean, one of the things I complained about the, the 12 points, what do I have, 12.7? 9. 12.9 is that the, uh, it doesn't doesn't have the night mode that, that I'm, I'm rocking on the uh, iPhone 6 Plus, right? Um, it doesn't do that sort of, you know, killing the, killing, taking the cyan cast out of the, out of the color, which apparently is keeping us up at night. Um, I must say I'm sleeping much better these days, but um yeah, so that was one thing I kind of surprised that the iPad Pro and, you know, I would think the iPad Air 2 doesn't support that kind of uh, yeah, they idea. Su- yeah, they do. Do I, they? It's called Night Shift, and it is on your iPad. Really? Totally. Anyway, but I, but yeah, like I said, uh, but I did say on the show when we talked about the 9.7 is, is that, you know, I was a little, you know, miffed that, and, and very little miffed that, that the uh, iPad Pro 12-inch, 12.7-inch, I'm going to wake this thing up. 12.9-inch. Thank you. Um, it's all confusing. Um, like, it's uh, like, like 9. I said, 7. hence what Joseph Lindsay calls it, the baby pro. Yes. Uh, you said, I have night shift in here. Go to displays and brightness in your settings, and then you'll find night shift. So, Oh, look at that. The, cool. um, the thing that you're saying, though, is that you look at these two displays, and despite all the fancy-ass tech that's in the baby pro, as you call it, Yeah. Uh, not that big a difference for your eyes. You know, well, I, I, you know, given that I was looking at it in a, in a dark room, I did actually post a Vine of it. Um, if you want to look, look at my Vine account, same as my Twitter account. Um, Maybe that they, could be in the show notes. Yeah, I could put a link to it. For those driving at home. Yeah, but I mean, again, you're, I'm filming it with an iPhone 6 Plus camera in a dark room, and, you know, you can barely see that Ryan, Ryan is flicking back and forth uh, of the switch of it, right? So, so yeah, I mean... It, I wouldn't go out of my way to get it. Let's put it that way. I do. I must say, I do like the size of the nine, the nine point seven inch iPad Pro. Um, it's much easier to handle, especially if you're like standing up drawing and and uh, you know because then you've got the Apple Pencil in one hand and, and you, you're, you're hanging onto the iPad in the other one. The twelve inch is a little bit again like like the six plus. It's a little bit too big for those kind of situations, you know. So 
Anyway, the the uh, what I was going to say was that, like you know, as most artists do, they carry different size note uh, or sketchbooks for different purposes. Like they'll have a small one that they'll carry around in their, in their satchel for when they just want to catch a quick idea. And I find that that, as an artist, would be where I would use a nine point seven inch iPad for that kind of stuff. See, and that's what I'm talking about when I say that there should be pencil support for the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like I think about that scenario too for the iPhone. Well, Another small piece of, of, of follow-up for you, Aaron, is that at the show, I think I saw at least three people with pencils. And in fact, Daniel Steinberg, who did the Swift workshop, was also using an iPad, like a 9.7-inch, and he was drawing, you know, different uh, um, configurations of, like, when he was explaining generics, he just pulled out his, his iPad Pro, iPad Pro Mini Pro, Baby Pro, plugged it into the to the projector and drew on it with his pencil and many people like me i was taking notes with my pencil uh because i found it faster to, to just recursively write uh, notes than it was to type because i'm not a touch typer and uh and i noticed a number of other people at the conference were doing the same thing some people were some people had like an ipad mini and they had like a regular stylus and they were still taking notes too do so. you think the next gen iphone will have pencil support i can't imagine that it wouldn't to be honest yeah. with you yeah but then we've been surprised by Apple before, right? True. Well, Apple does need some things to uh, differentiate the, <laughs> the iPhone these days, right? <laughs> and get people to upgrade. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. Because the, uh, the Samsungs, as Aaron has pointed out before, have the Pen that they can use. right? And, and I've seen those in the wild. That would be S-Pen for those in America. No, it's not Spen. Not Spen or Sven. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I get your point. I do think that the, the True Tone display stuff will, will come to the entire product line, um, assuming it's better. Like, I think what I'm hearing is that it's it's better, but it's not like you would toss your current device in the trash and go get no. a new one for that, right? It's no. not like that big of a jump. But, you know, every little bit counts. And I think, likewise, the uh, pencil support will probably come to most, if not all, of the device lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. They, you know, it's it's a standard thing. You you introduce the new uh, features to the higher end devices, and then trickle them down to the lower end devices over time. Yeah, and I, I do think as an input device, it is it is very nice. I mean, it, even for taking like cursive notes, as, as Aaron was getting all excited about a couple of weeks ago when we we saw a video of somebody doing that, right? Oh, by the way, just to, as, as a side note, I used to have an app called Penultimate, and because it was bought with an American account that I don't, no longer have access to, I lost the access to that app. But apparently, I didn't know this until I opened up my Evernote uh, on the iPad Pro. They've, put, I guess, uh, uh, Evernote has bought Penultimate ages ago. Yes. Yeah, and they've ro- rolled it into into the uh, the into the app so now I can actually take notes using the pen but technology because I I, just, I I was kind of dumbfounded as to how quickly these guys rolled this in but clearly they just they just uh, I wondered how they had done that but then somebody pointed out to me at the at the conference that it was support supporting a penultimate so very cool addition to my arsenal of iPad 9 7 Oh no, my 12, good lord, Tim! Jesus. So, so Tim, you made a you made a point in passing that you are sleeping better now since you started using. <laughs> is that true, or were you kidding? No, no, no. I'm getting I'm getting up earlier to go to work and catch the beat the beat the track beat the uh, commuters. So I'm I'm finding I'm falling asleep faster at, at night. So uh, yeah, I no, I've, I've, I've shifted okay. my working hours. I used to work nine to three. Now I work. You know, now I now I get up at around seven and I go to bed around twelve thirty. So mm. I just changed my hours. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer on San Francisco time. Okay. Do you want to talk about Ayaka Nonaka? I just love to say uh, your yeah. name. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about TZ well, there, Stack there was, View. There was, uh, oh, yes. Yeah, so oh, yeah. I'm sorry. 
Yes, I did. I, I made the point of sitting down next to Ayaka, Ayaka Nonaka and, and telling her about how Aaron loves her name. And I took a selfie for Aaron and I posted it to Twitter. So there Got you it. go. Yep. So there you go. That was for you. Thanks. And thanks to the uh, low quality of the iPhone 6 Plus front-facing camera, it's a crappy shot. Alas. Alas, yes. But she's, she's actually very nice. And she gave a great talk, I must say. She did a talk on... Um, um, creating, uh, adding space to layouts. Uh, you know, you're talking about um, uh, layout guides and what's the other thing? Geez, I'm writing an article on it. I should know this. Like stuff. layout anchors. Hang on. Yeah, 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 layout anchors. Things that were added in iOS nine. Let me get my pages document here. Yeah, she talked about it was about clean clean layout on iOS nine features and. Yeah, she's talking about layout, and it's layout anchors and uh, UI layout guides and stack views as well. And her, I loved her comment where she said that, you know, once you start working with stack views, everything looks like a stack view. Um, and mm. she also pointed out at the end of it, and this is where the follow-up comes up for our talk here, is that we talked about a uh, TZ stack view. I think uh, Jaime uh, posted it as an alternative to stack views back when we first started talking about this stuff. And we were kind of wondering how, you know, if you started with, I think I asked if you start with one, what happens later? And she made a point of saying in, in her talk that when you're ready to switch from uh, supporting iOS 8 to iOS 9 and take advantage of uh, stack views, they apparently are interchangeable. You just change the class the class names and or method names and properties are all the same. So yeah, that Which was cool. one of the points about TZ stack view that we reviewed back in the day. And that of course would be a TZ stack view for those of us. I don't know so what you're talking Canada. about. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I, it's interesting. I, I, she's a, she's an interesting uh, gal because she only code, she only writes in code. So um, one of the things that she was saying that I think it was uh, uh, UI layout guides aren't in storyboards yet. Um, she wondered why they weren't in there, but uh, yeah, she all of her examples that she gave. She talked about the visual visual format language for doing uh, auto layout constraints in code, uh, clearly, and uh, you know using NS layout anchors and how that you know where you ha- you'd have like five or six different lines to do uh, something in visual layout visual format language, and then whereas you could do use the NS layout anchors in one line or or, or if fewer lines, let's put it that way, way fewer lines. So it was interesting, interesting talk. Good presenter, really, really pleasant uh, person. Great. That's my follow-up on Ayaka and Ayaka. Okay, let's shut down the FU then. All righty then. Bang FU. <laughs> hey, More Than Just Code listeners. Are you ready for Indie Dev Stock? This September 16th and 17th in Nashville, Tennessee, at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center, some of the brightest minds will be attending Indie DevStock. Join us for two days and learn from the industry's best designers, developers, and entrepreneurs. Professionals like Greg Heo, Ellen Shapiro, Janie Clayton, Simon Allardyce, and many more. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and insights with you. They'll discuss the challenges indies face and, more importantly, how to overcome them. But you don't have to be an indie to attend. Indie Dev Stock is made for everyone, whether you're just starting out or have been an indie for years. Indie Dev Stock is about making connections and sharing new ideas. While you're there, explore Nashville and Music City, the place where music is inspired, written, recorded, and performed. For more details and to register for Indie Dev Stock, visit IndieDevStock.com. We hope to see you there.
All right, Tim, hit us with the NS North highlights. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, as I've already said, um, NS North started out with a, a day of workshops. There was two things. It was, a, it was the first time that it was in, held in Toronto, which was, which I think is great because we, we, you know, it's a large community here, and we also are our hub for a lot of traffic in, in Canada. So people could come from the East Coast and the Middle Coast or the Middle East, as they call it in Vancouver. Um, and they could also come up from the states. So and I think people as far away as Columbia, I think, came to this conference. There were a number of uh, Americans there, um, like Joseph Blinsky was there, for instance, from and he's in New York City. Um, but it was interesting. So for start off on the first day with uh, Daniel Steinberg doing an uh, intermediate level um, discussion on uh, Swift. So he went through, started off with enums and, and went through. Um, uh, what are those things called? Classes and structs. And he's sort of explaining along the way, sort of um, sort of inside sort of things that made the translation from Objective-C to Swift easier on people who hadn't started looking at Swift yet or looking, looking at it seriously. Um, a couple of interesting um, things he talked about. I forget what it was specifically, uh, but he... At one point, he said that you really have to pay attention to what Apple says at WWDC because they're actually telling us what's coming in the future without telling us. So um, that was with respect to things like auto, when auto layout came along, you know, it became auto layout begat. Um, help me out, guys. Uh, the iPhone 5. Size classes. Yes. And, and then it, it, he was, you know, we kind of looked at it and went, why are we doing this? And then the next thing we know, they introduced larger phones and phones of different sizes and iPads and you know, split views and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? I so. don't think listeners to this show would have been surprised by that. Well, <laughs> some might. Some might. You'd be surprised. I would be, because then they wouldn't have been paying attention. Well, maybe and they wouldn't new. have known about the maybe puppy thing. Maybe they're new thing. to the community. Well, <laughs> the puppy thing. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, so the talks were uh, a number of interesting speakers. Let's see what I got here in my iPad. <laughs> Play some hold music at this point. Do, 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 do. I'm going to do the passcode thing, Evernote. Okay. So Gwen, and I forgot her last name, talked about type erasure, and she talked about um, different ways that uh, we have, you know, in, for types. Suggests us to stop and consider for a second what types are. Okay. I hope you, hope you took the time to consider what they are. So we have different types. We have concrete types, clearly, like for data and that kind of things. And we have abstract types, which are for more representative of behavior. Um, and then she went through talking about um, how uh, generics make use of abstract types. And, you know, we can basically uh, wrap them in a, into a concrete type to use them. And that's what type erasure actually is, when you wrap an abstract type into a concrete type. Um, there was a couple of designers did some talks. Um, Gene, um, what's Gene's last name again, Aaron? You don't know. Gene that did the lightning talk? Yeah. Goikman. He talked about, uh, which is an interesting follow-up for us, he talked about um, doing Swift backends in he had in five minutes, which was a good, good little talk. So I think we probably could follow up with some stuff with him on that. Is that the person from Perfect? No. Okay, no. All right. <laughs> Oh, it's shot in the dark. It's like, oh, somebody in the Toronto area and doing Swift backends, I just assumed. But I'm yeah, those oh, guys oh. were there big time. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, they no, sponsored no. the conference. Yeah. yeah, I spoke to them at at, uh, at uh, length, uh, not about the product, but about uh, our relationship with them, having, you know, sort of uh, talked about them a number of times on the show. And we'll be talking to them a bit more in the future. They sent us over some um, code to play around with a while back. 
they were there as well was um, Buddy Build, which is an interesting uh, new app. And that's from another um, faraway land called Vancouver, where uh, Buddy Build, what they do is uh, they take away the pain of it's very similar to how you would do with a hockey app or test flight where you could actually build, send builds to the Buddy Build um deployment system and it's as simple as emailing a, a link to an uh, end user and then it'll automatically do the queries get the device ids you know add them to the provisioning profiles all that sort of stuff that we used to pull our hair out in the past and very quickly get an app deployed onto their device um so what's, and what's it, the advantage of that over test flight um, well, it's 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 sort of outside of the having to go in and register the device and create an invite and having the user you know respond to the invite and and I know having work with with uh, people who aren't sophisticated testers per se like friends and family that they don't necessarily grok what they need to do like they need to go in they need to accept the invite they need to go into test flight there's a number of steps and they kind of take those steps away is what I'm what I'm getting at right mm, okay. you can still use those kind of things like if you want to do the the provisioning profile and all you know add devices to it knock yourself out you can still do that but they kind of sort of take that away that sort of those pain points away and make it easier to get a, 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 a ad hoc build onto somebody's device right mm-hmm. um, as but, well but as probably still limited by the hundred device you are right? 200 yeah. 200 yeah 200, you're right yeah. the, it's that's the difference between using them and using test flight obviously with test flight you think you can go to a thousand devices right is that yes. correct yeah, yeah. Yep. um but the other thing too is uh which i don't want to miss is that they also do uh crash analytics in the app as well so even once you've used the buddy build system and you go out to the app store with your real live app they will still collect data uh about your crashes as well right which is becoming, I don't know, if you, have you, has anybody had any trouble symbolicating logs recently since they changed it around in uh, Xcode 7? No, it's, like, it's much easier now, I've, I've found. You found? Yeah. 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 Oh, because, yeah, because it comes in. Yeah. So, but in our case, in our, in our enterprise environment, the average developer isn't the person doing the deployment, right, to the, to the app store. So uh, we're having a bit of challenges getting um, symbolicating crash logs and stuff like that coming back to us, right? Because they use the app uploader to send the app up, as opposed to Xcode directly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, are you using you're using Xcode, I assume, to send to the app store, right? Yes, but I also use a, a third party crash tracker. I use Hockey App for that, actually. Uh, Do you okay? In, yeah. in some cases, and and you still have to upload your SIM file, obviously, manually. Mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it works. It works great, as far as I can tell. Okay, cool. So, um, going back to NS North, Liz Marley did a talk on. Um, she works for the Omni Group in Portland, and she did a talk about uh, App Camp for Girls, which was um, and gave examples of how they um, create these groups for girls to come and learn how to how to code um, and get uh, some statistics on on how grads aren't necessarily uh, coming through computer science courses. And one of the statistics she gave us was that less than 20% of the grads coming out of uh, college and universities these days are women. So they want to try and get to uh, young girls, you know, in who are, you know, budding programmers like my granddaughter and hopefully Aaron's daughter um, to get to think that they could uh, enter the workspace as, as developers. So that was an interesting, a very interesting talk. Jonathan Ryan was there talking about storytelling, basically. And he gave some examples of the things that he likes. To, he's found interesting in stories. He's a real big fan of Forrest Gump as a good uh, example of stories. It was a good good conference. Anyways, it's a mix of um, 
it's a good mix of, of some sort of business-y kind of things and some tech as well. So the last person, uh, Pamela Pavlosak, uh, she's a... I'm not sure what to call her, but she's uh, was talking about uh, analytics and how um, we are represented in through social media and through our apps um, and for the, through the information that we gather about users as um, perhaps not representative of who we really are, just sort of who we are online kind of thing. And um, she sort of challenged us to go and, and check out our online presences and make sure that they actually do represent what we think and believe and want to do, right? So... Yeah, and so in the, our our Canadian sort of thing was, you know, there were lots of beaver tails and poutine served, and we went to the Hockey Hall of Fame on uh, uh, Saturday night and got to wander around as a sort of extra treat, which was kind of cool. So I know what poutine is, but what is beaver tail? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can actually explain it. I really only know beaver tails from going to Ottawa myself, but uh, it's kind of like a pancake-y, donut-y kind of thing that's sort of flat and beaver sh- beaver tail shaped, like sort of oval and flat. It is a deep-fried pastry. Yeah. It's about the size of a dinner plate. Yeah, and they put and honey they put or something, maple, maple syrup on it, I guess? Or? A variety of toppings. You know, I think the classic is like cinnamon, but, you know, you can get like chocolate and maple syrup and... Yeah, definitely not for the dieter. Hmm. Does it have the consistency of a waffle, say, or more like a pancake? More like a pancake. Okay. Like, or, or if you took like a deep fried donut and you had it, it was flat and about, um, you know, about a centimeter or two thick. Yeah, kind of rolled in sugar. Yeah, they, and they, they were, you're right. They did come up with various various toppings. I didn't try very many, but actually the poutine was very good that they put, that they served there. Very Canadian, eh? Eh. Yeah. Eh. All right. Uh, okay. So that's all there I have you to go. Say about NS North, yeah. I'm going to be writing an article on it, so I'll, I'll people. I'll put that in show notes. Five star would attend again. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Were were lifelong friendships made? Yes, very were, many. Well, I mean, I, I've I've met a number of people at previous shows and uh, or previous conferences, I should say. Um, last year we met a bunch of people, and the year before as well. You know, uh, like I said, Joe Saplitsky was a volunteer. Carl was a volunteer. Carl from the um, Taco Group. Um, um, I'm running a blank here on who these people are. Uh, Aluin was there as a volunteer. And uh, what's the other? Um, what's Aluin's last name? And Lou O'Brien. O'Brien. And the other O'Brien guy. Uh, what's his name from Taco? Patty. Patty. Yeah. Patty O'Brien was there as a volunteer as well. So it was, it was good to see those guys. You know, the the usual crowd from Taco was, was there, I think, a lot of people. and uh, Those crazy kids. Yeah, some of those crazy kids from Calgary that I met at previous shows. Friend of the show, Mark Eaton, was there. Uh, I tweeted out a picture of him, you know. Okay. Yeah. Good show. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all in the past now, man. None of us can ever be there. Do you think, are they going to release videos of the talks? Yes, I believe the videos were taken of the talks. Um, there, there was a, because I, I was in the workshop, I wasn't able to attend the community kickoff, but apparently there were there were talks there too. So I'm kind of curious to see what uh, what topics were covered there as well. So if you didn't have a ticket to the show, the day before the show, they had a sort of community get together to sort of kick off the, the whole event. So, uh, so. To compare and contrast with Le Chateau Montevello, which uh, I had the pleasure of enjoying last year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and other than the fact that it was very convenient that you could just be in your jammies until 10 <laughs> minutes prior to the uh, opening session, um, how did it differ being in Toronto? Well, that was a, that's an interesting thing. Um, I mean, I was at NS North two years ago, and Aaron was there three years ago, the first one, right? True. And, you know, we would have stayed in a hotel, but wasn't 
at the venue necessarily, so we couldn't stay in our jammies till ten minutes before. Um, now I'm getting a picture of you in your jammies. <laughs> Don't even go there. Anyway, so I, you know, there's a little flap on the back, a little you know, feet covered. Never. Long story short. Um, uh, and for me, I was commuting in every day on the streetcar. So, you know, uh, for me, it's like it was like 10 minutes away from my house. So it was sort of super, so I could stay in my jammies till 10 minutes before, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it was a kind of different event. It was at uh, at uh, the St. James Church uh, Cathedral Center, um, which is where Church Street in Toronto gets its name from. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good show. It was, it was different than in terms of... Um, it was about the same size in terms of capacity of people that were there, right? Um, but yeah, the Shadow Montebello was quite an interesting experience in itself, right? Indeed. So it's possible they'll do something entirely different next year. Yes, or maybe maybe the same. Oh, the other difference too was we had Adrian Marshall was uh, along with um, um, Dan Byers and um, Philippe, Philippe Castrain uh, was was there as well, helping them to facilitate coming to Toronto too, which I think was, it would have been a challenge for them coming from, from Ottawa to, to do that organization as well. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Maybe one year they'll have it in Vancouver and then I can just drive up from Seattle. That'd be nice. Yeah. Wait, I almost forgot. I got to tell you guys about these two guys. So they had two, this was the first time we've actually had game developers talking at the show. Right. And we had Rob Siegel from get set which is a game company. They're the makers of Mega Jump in Toronto, right? And he was talking about some interesting things that uh, fellow game developers or even fellow app developers may want to consider. One of the things they did with Mega Jump was 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 pretty successful, I think, is safe to say. Um, but one of the things they did was they they started working with foreign markets and they through um, uh, what am I thinking here the. Trade, trade commission here, trade commissioner in Canada. They were able to connect with developers in other countries to take their 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 code and basically um, localize it, not just in terms of changing languages, but changing the style of the app for other countries. And they found that quite successful. Um, you know, so they were able to get into markets like China and India and places like that as well, right? So uh, it was an interesting talk. Um, it was good to good to sort of hear about how they kind of went through their success curve. And as well, uh, I'm going to mess up his name, uh, Rob Lee Jama from Tiny Heart Studios here in Toronto as well. Um, he produced, a, uh, his most successful app was called The Next Keyboard. And it's actually kind of cool. It's a, it's, um, a keyboard replacement. Um, and he talked about how he started, they started out with some, some smaller apps and how they built them. Um, and, you know, the, the bullet points he came up with was, you know, clearly make a great product. I think Aaron sort of said that was number one, you know, at first get featured, you know, contact Apple, do a coordinated launch with app with, uh, with Apple, if you can, um, press releases, which we've talked about before, um, he uh, posted their pro- their press kit on Medium uh, as an example of something you could think about doing. Make an awesome video. He showed a couple of videos that they made for both uh, um, the next keyboard and for the wake alarm. He's the, you guys familiar with wake alarm? No. No, it's kind of very clean looking uh, alarm clock app uh, for the iPhone. Um, so they they and they sort of they they got friends and family to kind of work with them on building the the videos and they they invested some money in that and that kind of made a difference too and then they also did cross promotion because they were relatively successful with Next Keyboard they were able to uh, do some cross promotion with their other apps as well so there were some good points about uh, about that um, 
they crowdfunded the next keyboard, he said. And and it, an interesting point, though, that he made, as we talked about that that uh, um, gentleman the other day, the darkroom guy, a darkroom, um, he said, when he brought up the point about how to stay at the top, he said, if anybody knows how to do that, let him know, which is kind of what we talked about in the past, right? Indeed. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to see those two gentlemen talking at uh, at the show. You know, some like I said, relatively relatively successful app developers developers from right here in Canada. That is my report on NS North. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, last week we talked about the results from Apple, the quarterly results, which were disappointing to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot of soul searching happening, a lot of questions about why that happened and what the future of Apple is going to look like. And in the at the website above Avalon by Neil Seibart, uh, so this is a returning columnist that we've talked about before on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a column on May 2nd called iPhone Warning Signs. And in this column, he talks about sort of the history of iPhone sales and sort of looking ahead at what we can expect in the future. And um, I'll give you the TLDR, as you're such big fans of, and mm-hmm. the future is not bright um, in the sense that uh, it does appear that Apple has reached something of a saturation point. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I don't think he says this here, but it put me in mind of how Microsoft after a certain point of dominating the world of the PC with the whole Wintel alliance, uh, eventually themselves reached a saturation point where the the company just kind of stopped growing, right? There Mm. was a long period of meteoric rise, just like with Apple and the iPhone, uh, and then just sort of holding steady, basically. The people that were buying PCs continued to buy them, but there were no markets to conquer anymore. And we're kind of at that point right now with iPhone. We've, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. we discussed last week, you can see that growth curve uh, going down, trending downward at a very predictable rate, and continuing to do so. And there doesn't appear to be anything that's going to pick that up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we talked about last week was: um, is it something that either Apple can uh, open the phone to new markets, but there aren't a whole lot of those left over, um, or they can go after different segments of the market? like by selling a less expensive iPhone, which also doesn't seem terribly likely, not very Apple-like. So, Well, I could raise the point of the iPad Nano, which, which kind of went iPod after the... The iPod Nano? Yeah, the iPod yes. Nano, which went after the, after the smaller you know, MP3 players back in the day, right? That is, seems like an anomaly in Apple's history. They haven't done anything like that since. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, that, that is something they could do, but, uh, you know, I'm just not sure if that's going to happen or not. Uh, sort of the thing that one of the narratives that came from this column and that I've seen repeated elsewhere since it was published was that uh, it looks like management, like Tim Cook and and staff, uh, weren't adequately prepared for this. They don't hmm. appear to have put out enough word, and they appear to have been taken by surprise by how how much the the growth prospects for the iPhone have been diminishing. Um, so, you know, something to keep in mind as you're sort of watching Apple and, and listening to what they're saying um, in the coming quarters. So, you know, we just don't really know what the future of the iPhone has to hold. And I think it's probably fair to say that it's not going to continue to be the explosive engine of growth for Apple. Obviously, obviously. And I'll, I'll go back to Microsoft again. Microsoft didn't grow after everybody bought Windows PCs. 
but they are still a very healthy business, right? Making a ton of money. And Apple is even more so, right? The iPhone business throws off cash like you would not believe. Even if it's not growing, like the amount of cash coming in, that percentage growth is not there anymore. It's still throwing off cash like you would not believe. So they're they're not going anywhere. That's the big thing to keep in mind here, that Apple is not going anywhere. No, I'm, so I'm looking at these charts and I'm kind of seeing, my question is, this seems to be sales growth, but this isn't necessarily isn't right. representative of the, of the saturation or the number of actual devices out there. Um, the, the, bigger some, the bigger something is, the bigger a certain percentage of that is. So to get the same percentage of growth, you need to be making a lot more money. Right, so so say or or sell a lot more units. So say there were say there were a thousand units out there, just for the sake of argument. One percent of that is is ten, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if there's a million out there, one percent of that is a thousand, right? right? right. Ten thousand. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Ten thousand. Yeah, math. ten thousand. Yeah. So yeah. so percentages of growth are always a little bit uh, misleading for something that's growing very fast. Or, or even keeping steady, like so. Yeah. What, you, what you missed last week, Mark, was uh, if you look at the the Exhibit Two chart uh, on the site, um, it, as you can see, around twenty thirteen, you know, kind of it was kind of going down at around a twenty percent angle, and then when the iPhone six and six plus kicked out, it kind of bumped up again where the where the arrow is, right? Right. Uh, and right. that was that was what we talked about last week was an, was an anomaly in that you know. Everybody kind of expected the the sales growth to taper off to to meet meet where it sort of is now. If you imagine if the iPhone six wasn't there, but what I kind of wonder though, I was thinking about it today when Joe Saplinski was talking on Roundabout about the iPhone uh, S, which, which what's the new SE. one? The SE, SE thing, yeah, the new SE um, is that he was one of the people you know for the last couple of years uh, saying that he wanted a four inch phone. He didn't really like the six or the six plus. Uh, he actually has a six plus now, but um, he was glad to see the iPhone four come out, or sorry, iPhone four four factor four inch phone factor come out uh, in the iPhone SE. But he wasn't really pleased about as people are thinking that that's going to be the same phone for the next couple of years, right? But I'm thinking that that phone, like in as much as the iPhone six plus. Um, kind of brought people who wanted a bigger phone to the iPhone market like we talked about last week with the Samsungs and you know the bigger Androids were kind of leading people away from Apple Apple having a bigger model clearly showing by this sales growth chart um, having those larger phones really helped Apple in spite of what we all thought um, I wonder if having the SE form factor the 4-inch phone factor is going to bring people that would you know would have given up on Apple and gone to God help us flip phones or whatever right um, but the other thing too is like like we've said this before in kind of a roundabout way the iPhone as based on the price of the device is very much a first world pr- uh, product right so by trying to go after markets uh, where you know you're paying ten thousand or twenty thousand or fifty thousand rupees for a device, it's that's that's a large chunk of somebody's salary to sort of part with to, to buy an iPhone. You know, yeah, we don't really regard India as a viable uh, huge market for Apple yet. No, but there are a lot of people there. Is my point? Well, no kidding, but they can't afford the phone. <laughs> yeah, so, so so that's what I'm saying about it being a first world device, right? So right. Well, I mean, that's the thing that they were saying here. Like that that blip on the chart from 2014 um, when the iPhone six came out is also the time that Apple got full access to the final big market, China. Right. So 
um, that is also an explanation for why they got the, such a boost. But that too is tapered off. The, it, it's it's yeah. tapered off the growth as expected. Right? Yeah, right. as expected. Right. 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 Yeah. And so there's no more there's no more big markets at this point in time for Apple to break into and get a lot more customers. Like they yeah. they're out there everywhere now. Anybody who wants an iPhone can get one. Right. But the the problem with a lot of these these types of graphs is it it gives the impression to people who really aren't paying close attention yeah. that the number of users of iPhones is going down. Exactly. That's, that's what you got to watch out for. absolutely not the case. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see millions of millions of units out that are out there as opposed to like like we were saying the sales growth percentage, right? I want to see a different chart than this to see what those numbers yeah. look like. That's sort of what I want I want people to take away from this is that yeah. th- this isn't Apple, you know, losing money. They're still making it. It's it's all about how many people are out there buying iPhones and pretty much everyone who wants an iPhone has one. Yeah. Yeah. Or a smartphone altogether, really. And, you know, it's just, it's going to be Android and iPhone kind of trading users at this point. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> yeah. So the question that you get at when you come around here is, okay, so we understand that the iPhone sort of represents, I'm going to say it, probably the most successful product in human history, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is, there is no single thing that every human on this planet wants to own, especially something with, uh, you know, Forty percent profit margin at eight hundred to a thousand dollars a pop, right? Yeah, from an accessibility um, point of view, like if you if you think of if you use the uh, one of the talks talked about, you know, Steve Jobs talked about the computer being the bicycle for the mind, right? Well, we're not r- walking around with desktops; we're now walking around with a phone in our pocket, which is a computer in our pocket, right? The point is that um, that since they've reached saturation on on that product. Mm-hmm. Um, while they will continue to make lots of money from that product and it'll fuel a lot of other things, the fact remains that if Apple is going to continue to grow as a company in that sort of capitalist, inexorable way that such companies are demanded to grow, mm-hmm. they do need to find other products. And yeah. that's, you know, what's what's next, you know, to quote Jed Bartlett. You know, there has to be another product to start to kick that growth off. And I, I suspect that's what uh, Tim Cook and, and the executive suite had in mind when they rushed two product platforms out the door last year, right? Apple TV and, and Watch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, but which by many lights were, were both kind of rushed out the door. Well, it's interesting. I just, I, I'm just going to bring an aside in here just about the have – you, have you noticed the number of Watch commercials that we've seen lately? Like, um, like on TV, I don't. Yeah, know. well, you, I, I, you, no, I don't watch TV. No, but, you don't watch TV. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, I've seen Apple has posted some watch commercials. I, I don't yeah, like. No, it's, it's funny. Like I'm seeing them all the time, and and they, you know, at first, they, at first glance, when you you know look up from whatever you're looking at during a commercial, um, you don't really notice that they're they're and they're very short. They're like you know they're like thirty second spots. Yeah, so they they're have fifteen second spots too. Those. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're real quick, and it's like all you know, it takes you like somebody's in some situation, like they're doing it rowing. Do, using a rowing machine for instance whatever you call those and she kind of looks at her watch for a second and that's all that's the only indication you get that it's a watch right yeah um and those those are kind of they're very intelligently done typical of apple's advertising uh, prowess you know but uh mm. but you know the, what i'm saying is is that like i'm watching these during shows that you know the average person like they're they're during the the, the popular amc shows or, or that kind of thing or um, so they're kind of, and they're just in there like sprinkling little bits, you know, they sort of get okay. people in chase, but I mean, just an aside. Okay. Well, I think the thing that you just said is going to be a big part of the strategy going forward for Apple, right? Where you can't get explosive growth out of, um, a product line that has 
probably reached the good enough category mm-hmm. where like you know the change from year to year is small enough and the change from you know three to four years might even be good enough uh, right. as an you know an example take a look at your your you know whatever whatever you're using right now right so i'm using a macbook pro uh it's my personal one it's you know out of date compared to like you know the one i use professionally for work yeah um, but i'm using let me take a look this is a retina macbook pro from mid 2012 is what wow that's what this is telling me. and i don't really feel the pain you know like when i do some of my personal projects on this machine uh, I'm sure I could appreciate things from the latest and greatest MacBook Pro, but um, I'm really not kind of needing it, even at my level, right? And I think yeah. we're, it's like, when was the last time somebody got excited, like, oh my God, I have to take my current laptop, throw it in the garbage, and go buy <laughs> a new one and stand in line for it? Doesn't happen. The MacBook made me do that. Yeah, the new MacBook, I think, is probably the one. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a new form factor, great. And so or, or before the, or the before the that, there was there wasn't really much of anything, right? No, yeah. no, you're absolutely right. I mean, like in it. You note, like when I said MacBook, it wasn't because of like super fast performance, right? It was because of the portability, the form factor, yeah, and the Retina display. You know, these these sort of intangibles, maybe that sort of um, take a front seat behind or in front of performance. You know, performance doesn't matter. Like your 2012 uh, Mac Pro is probably faster than my MacBook, and that's cool. I'm fine with that. Because it's fast enough. It's good enough. Right. And I think it might, uh, tying it into what Tim had said about the watch, I think this might present an opportunity. It's like, well, if I can't convince you to buy a brand new iPhone, you know, every year or every Mm -hmm. couple years even, um, you know, they should try to come up with features that will make the iPhone, um, you know, enjoyable as an upgrade mechanism to entice people to do that. But it takes a lot of engineering investment, a lot of product investment to come up with like, oh, here's this whiz bang cool new feature in the iPhone 8. Yeah. The other thing is like, well, you could do that, but a other less expensive option to increase the amount of revenue generating in is to use these complementary products. Right, so yeah. the Apple TV, the Apple Watch, right? All these other uh, bits and maybe something new, like you know, like an Apple car, like we've talked about. These ones are still early enough in their life cycle where there's huge early wins just for adding you know, the, the comparatively small things rather than trying to eke out just a, yet another percentage point out of iPhone. It's true. Yeah. What I was going to say was exactly the same thing you just said, the halo effect of, hey, I really want to buy an Apple Watch. What do I need to, to, to buy to, get to, to make it work? Well, I need to buy a phone, right? If I don't have one, and maybe the SE does the SE support the watch? Does doesn't it? Yeah, yep. Everything after the iPhone five and later. Yeah. So I mean, so it's you know, if somebody really was enticed by one of these, you know, by by Taylor Swift doing a face plant or whatever, um, to buy to run out and buy a watch, you know, maybe the new nylon band is the thing they've been waiting for all these years, right? Um, and they they go into a store and they find out that it as a standalone product, it's it doesn't do anything. You need to have an iPhone. I mean, that was a challenge. You know, I thought about. We thought about giving one to my grandson, who ended up going with a with the um, what's that other watch thing that everybody has? The open source one. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Open source. Steel. The steel. Pebble. Pebble. He bought yeah, a Pebble watch. Well, he got he got a Pebble watch because you know he you know because he if we, we get him an, uh, an Apple watch, he would need an iPhone. You know that said, he's now got an iPhone, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> but you know that's what I mean. Like so, if somebody somebody gets enticed to go into the store to buy a, to buy a watch, you know the, the minimum entry is an iPhone of some type, right? A five or whatever. Indeed, interesting stuff. I yeah, do well, wonder though, how many people are out there bought an iPhone just so they could buy an uh, an Apple Watch? Probably not. 
that many, I wouldn't think. Well, that said, too, I'm also surprised. I'm personally surprised by the number of people who bought the Steel Watch, you know, even with the Millennial Loop, Millennial Loop and, and uh, you know, the various bands. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that's bought the, the edition, but uh, but I've seen it at the, at the conference this weekend. I saw a couple of people with the Steels, and I asked them, like, okay, so, you know, why did you buy that? I mean, you know, in fact, the, my friend who was there has the Steel, and he's even got a scratch in the, in the special Sapphire lens, right? So... You know, and what's the answer? Why? Why do they say the thing about that? Well, I think he kind of wanted the, the the better thing, but he sort of he was sort of having you know, after after having it for the year, he kind of thought you know um, maybe it was a little too much money based on based on the value we're actually getting out of the phone. Uh, I mean, sort of the watch uh, beyond notifications and glances and things like that we talked about last week, right? So. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I don't know if I said this last week, and I don't think I did, but I, I wear my watch every day now, too, right? Because now that I... Oh, I'm, you're back on the horse. Yeah, I'm back on the horse. now. Well, now that I have a, a reason to ride, right? I mean, now now I'm going to work, and I'm on the, the streetcar, and, you know, I want to glance and see what time it is. I, you know, you know, want to see want to see what music's playing on my iPhone, if I don't know the song. Um, you know, and I also want to get notifications during the day, you know, so that... Um, was it Quartz app? Keeps popping up. I still very rarely, other than the, the big Trump announcement today, I really don't stop and look at the Quartz app when I see the notifications go by, right? But mm-hmm. that was that one got my attention. Um, <laughs> so so one, one last bit of uh, doom and gloom about, about all this. Uh, you know, there was, back in the day, you know, this is probably the 80s, uh, there was uh, this company, Fidelity, I'm sure everybody's heard of Fidelity, the financial services company. They're, one of their big... Uh, mutual fund runners, whatever they call it. I don't know. The guys who run the mutual funds was this guy named Peter Lynch. Mm -hmm. And he famously said at one point that the way he knew when it was time to sell the stock of a company was when they started building new headquarters. (laughs) And, and the reason was the reason made sense in a certain way. It's, it's at some point the, the management starts to get more interested in, you know who gets what office or what features right. go where and who's right. going to sit where and logistics of moving people around and shifting things. Take their eyes the ball and they, <laughs> and they stop paying attention to the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Now, you know I don't know, but Apple's got a pretty high profile new headquarters going up, which looks really nice, by the way. Yeah, but no uh, but you got to wonder about about that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I want to think that there's a lot of practical aspects to the reason they're doing that, right? Like, oh, sure. they they were so out of space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I think yeah, they're yeah. going to fill this building up even before it's done, right? Yeah, if you drive through Cupertino these days, uh, every other building in that area is is an Apple building. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And that's not even going to change, though, is it? Like, once once the uh, spaceship opens, uh, I think they said it would hold four thousand people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't is know the number, but but I, I have to think they'll pull. A lot of the people who are who are in uh, well, maybe what they'll do is that they'll take the people who are currently at Infinite Loop and move them over there, mm-hmm. and then consolidate some of the the satellite buildings around Infinite Loop into Infinite Loop because there's a lot of little little offices that yeah, can't right. hold more than twenty or thirty people just in some random building down the street. That, okay, it, that doesn't have to be there, right? It could easily be in in Infinite Loop, right? So yeah. they're going to keep Infinite Loop, as far as I know. Yes, yeah, I think they are. I think I heard that too. Yeah. Well, it's, but, not yeah, big, like, it's not that big a place. Surprisingly, when you when you you yeah. imagine how big Apple is, you if you go to Infinite Loop, it's you know it's spread out, but it's not that large. You can't imagine where they get all these people crammed in there, right? So right, right. Which is why and, they and spread out to the around the surroundings, right? It, it's pretty iconic. I mean, if they yeah. shut that down, that would 
that would be a symbolic move that wouldn't be so great. Well, I guess I said my piece. I think um, the thing with iPhone is, or, or with Apple in particular, with iPhone being their chief driver, is to uh, see where the growth is going to come from because it is apparently not going to come from the iPhone unless they make a major move to grow the size of its addressable market. But that would be a big surprise. Well, I think China was supposed to do that and, yeah. and did to some degree, but maybe did. not as much as they hoped or expected. Right. Yeah, so let's go around the table as we usually do and see if anybody has any picks of the week. Aaron, do you have a pick? I do. Um, so listeners to the show may be aware that I am getting something into electronics these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, my uh, my spare time is not spent programming in Swift anymore. That's just my day job right now. And so as of, as of like a few months ago, I've been spending all of my free time learning microelectronics mm-hmm. and uh, programming with Arduinos and AVR, Atmel, Mega 326s, um, and various electronic components. Um, and it's just amazing. I'm going to write about it at some point, I think, just to sort of try to express what I'm so fascinated about with these mm-hmm. things. Well, one of the uh, things that you can do with electronics is uh, create little widgets that you can use around the house. And I've been made aware of this software project called Home Control, which is an open source HomeKit implementation hmm. written in Go. So... Basically, the architecture looks something like this. You create a HomeKit-style device. And let me just step back for a moment and give you some background on why HomeKit, as it is today, sucks. Mm -hmm. Okay? So HomeKit is a mechanism that allows you to buy appliances like electronic... uh, Sorry, electronic... Like uh, power outlet plugs, uh, light bulbs... um, sensors of different kinds and connect them all together so that you can control them from your phone. Right. Okay. Um, the problem is, is that all the things that you buy are super expensive, right? Like these led bulbs from Philips are like 60 bucks a pop. Um, you want to buy a Belkin, um, a power outlet home kit appliance. It's like 40 bucks, you know, and it lets you, whatever you plug into it, like a lamp allows you to turn it on and off with your iPhone. Um, Not sexy, too expensive. But here, with this thing called Home Control, what it does is that it gives you a HomeKit implementation that you install on your own server at your house, okay? And then, if you're an electronics geek, what you can do is build your own little board to do whatever it is you want. And my friend, Stefan, who I nerd with on Monday nights at the Cup, um, he's built this temperature sensor, and it's just, it's a very simple thing. It's like, two to four dollars in parts that he Hmm. soldered together and it's got a little wi-fi board and it's got a temperature sensor and a little microcontroller to let them talk and it broadcasts the temperature to this home control server that is on his home network and um, home control the server is open source and you can get it and you can download it but the maker of this app of this server rather also makes an iphone app called home control or sorry just home Mm-hmm. And that app is like an omnibus app that allows you to talk to any HomeKit appliance. And this is distinct from, like, say, if you bought um, a Philips light bulb, you would have to download the Philips app. Yes. Right? Yeah. If you yeah. bought a, a Belkin uh, power outlet thing, you'd have to download the Belkin app to right. control it. It is BS. 
okay? <laughs> it's crap. That is so crappy. It's no wonder that this thing isn't going anywhere. Yeah. This, what I'm talking about today, home control, is what Apple should be shipping today. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind that they're not. Because you get the home app, and you get whatever HomeKit appliance is talking to your, your home control server, and you can sort them yourself. One app to control all the stuff in your house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Um, the, the difference here is that, you know, if you're into electronics, you know, it's a huge asterisk. I, I get that. But um, you can spend, like, three bucks and, and put together, like, temperature sensors, uh, you know, light bulb controls, anything like that, um, instead of spending, like, a fortune on all these other things. Um, and also, it's super cool and geeky. So, links in the show notes, selfcoded.com slash home control. Check it out. Yeah, this is totally cool. Like, as you know, I gave my wife um, HomeKit-powered lights for Christmas, right? I remember getting laughed at by a member of this podcast. But anyway. I uh, only chuckled to myself. You may have heard the chuckling, but it wasn't at you, per se. No, but, but yeah, no, it, it was at is that the sort of th- we think. But the thing about it, you're right. It's totally why we, we picked out the Philips ones is because they had the HomeKit icon on the side of the box, right? Um, knowing that we would get to a point where a tool like this, as you're presenting here, would be available to us to go in and do that. Because, you know, my grandson Xavier is totally into this stuff, and Carol has her soldering iron in one hand as well, and she's ready to start building these things. It's just a matter of getting getting it going. And I was hoping for an app like this, too, that would consolidate a lot of the different, you know, uh, various things. Like, I have a Nest thermostat, which, you know, other than the fact that it controls its temperature and we have, a you know, the Nest Protect smoke sensor up on the third floor um, but they're not necessarily home kittable right but there are competitor products to that that are now home kit available or cap- supporting capable whatever you want to call it um, but yeah so this is this is cool because I mean you're right you're totally right you have the Philips app to basically go and do the disco light thing on the lights and and in fact some of our Philips lights uh, one of them changes one or two of them changes colors the rest just turn on and off very boring or they dim let's let's say right but yeah, this is cool. Like I like the idea of of having um like I live in a house where you know the third floor is a long way away from the thermostat. So it would be kind of cool to have a thermostat on the third floor. One thing that heating people will tell you they do is they create zones in your house and then they use louvers in the in the um uh, ducts to basically open and close and control the the house, but that means putting you know thermostats on on the various places where you live so that you get sort of a more balanced heat. And I know I'm geeking out on heat of HVAC right now, but this would be kind of a cool thing where you could you could use Stefan's idea to do small sensors around the house and have them and consolidate them into one place and then have the thermostat fire up or not or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. You could really go ballistic. And like, if you know about electronics and can do electronics, uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah, you can make crazy. Yeah, like even the little louver thing to open and close the, to put a louver inside your ducts, you could do that with an Adreno and a couple of motors, right? And away you go, right? Totally. So I can see my my two little Roombas here are getting really excited by this talk. (laughs) Down, C3PO, down. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's cool. I, the other reason I bought the Roomba was because of the fact that I want, it has a port on the top and you can actually go in and program them as well. So, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to do that. They actually, they actually sell a Roomba that doesn't have a vacuum cleaner in it. It's just for programming. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, it's all good. It's all good. It's funny, so, you know, like I'm not at all into our, our um, robotics, you know. I'm not interested in robotics. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in gadgets. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm. Anyway, that's me. Yeah, well, we have the like we have the three D printer for building the casing for your gadgets, yeah, right? Actually, that's something I'm very interested in too. Sure, sure. Okay, so what's your pick number two, Aaron? Um, well, actually, because um, home control is the server, <laughs> and and the home app is the app. Yeah. Joined by this um, HomeKit bridge, so that's actually kind of three picks, really. Yeah, I, put it that I guess. Yeah, so you're you're ahead of Jaime already. Um, well, that's all that matters. Well, so I mean, so I, the, the one thing is cu- I'm curious about though is so would you consider writing an app for to do this kind of thing, or do you think the home home app by itself does all does all you need right now? I got to tell you that home app looks excellent. Yeah, it looks so good. I, oh, you haven't played it, it yet, so yeah. No, no. I mean, you know, Stefan showed it to me. Um, it looks super sharp. And he's able to, like I can see from the, the, the illustration here, that he's able to create zones for different parts of the house and, and the various yeah, things. Yeah, so you, you just add, you, go, you have a fan, you can add a fan, right? Yep, that's right. Or a ceiling lamp or what have you. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were sitting there in the coffee shop, and he just pulled his phone out, and he said, Hey, Siri, <laughs> Siri, what's the temperature in my office? Oh, cool. And it you know went back to his home server, and Siri came back. It was 25.3 degrees. Yeah. Like, hey, that's kind of warm, man. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. It was correct. Hmm. Hmm. So give it a shot. Interesting. All right. So, so how does uh, one, one more question? How how does it really work with uh, with with these accessories all around your house? Uh, so, say you have a server in in a closet somewhere, right? Uh, it presumably is talking by Bluetooth LE to all of these different accessories. Yeah. How do you yeah. do that? Um, okay, so apparently the uh, what Stefan was using for his temperature sensor is actually Wi-Fi, not Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm sure Bluetooth is available as one of the transports that you could use. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had this little chip. It was like a $2 chip. He actually gave me one uh, just for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, you know, just adds Wi-Fi to your project. Yeah. And yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so it sets up a little ad hoc network then. Yeah, sets up an ad hoc network and then you can configure it for your router at home. Yeah, the Philips uh, has like a little base station puck that comes with with them, um, and you, you know, so and you have to put it near your. I think I actually think you have to wire it into your uh, to your home network as well. Now that I think about it, it's got an Ethernet port on it, um, and actually that's one of the concerns too that I've heard bandied around. And I'm not sure we're not going to get into it right now, but that people are concerned about being able to hack into these things and get into your networks and stuff. But I think that's a that's kind of a you know masking tape on your video camera kind of theory right yeah i'm looking at you jaime i actually do i was thinking about that i actually do have a bit of tape on my camera because uh maybe one day if we ever do like live streaming a video or or even just record the video here um i can also be in my jammies while doing the show and nobody knows the difference i'm just as professional sounding uh in jammies as i am in a three-piece suit interesting and of course you're wearing a three-piece suit right now right Mm. exactly Yes. Did anyone see, by any chance, the uh, 60 Minutes story about uh, iPhone, or not iPhone specifically, but smartphone security a few weeks back? No, no. It no. was it was very interesting and pretty disturbing. Really? Uh, the, along these lines. One of the things they showed, basically they, they went out and they found some you know, hackers who were working for the good guys, right, to show some of the things that can be done. Uh, and one of the things they showed was... Uh, taking video, filming video, and sending it out on a network from a phone that completely looked off. So, wow. yeah, they, you know, yeah. nothing on the screen, no red dot camera or anything, nothing. It mm-hmm. it was it just looked completely turned off, and yet they were watching it across a network. Mm. 
pretty creepy stuff. Was that an Android phone? I don't know. Uh, I I guess I couldn't really see closely enough. I don't know. It might have been, but uh, so but actually, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. The report didn't distinguish, eh, between iOS and Android. Yeah, I don't remember to be honest. This mm. is a few weeks back. I don't remember. So that's important to me for some reason. Yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Well, it is too. I mean, that, and that's another reason why not to jailbreak an iPhone as well. Because oh, God, no, yeah, yeah. Mark, if you if you happen to be able to find the link to that, um, I would. Oh, I would sure, it's just on CBS's website. But let me look. For, let me let me which check. May or may not play in Canada. Indeed, that's Goodness true. Knows. If it was NBC for sure, it wouldn't play here. Let me see. Keep well, talking while, while I look. While you're looking at that, uh, Jaime, have you got any picks? I do. Um, so. They're kind of almost the same pick. You know, one is kind of explaining what you can do and then give you a really quick example. And then kind of a more like, oh, this is actually what I would want to do on a regular basis sort of thing. Uh, A couple of blog posts by Daniel Galasco. He is uh, iOS lead over at Spree. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the main one is um, his blog post on how to run multiple versions of your app on the same device using Xcode configurations. Um, which, you know, it would be nice if it wasn't quite as, like, involved to get this set up, like if it was more out-of-the-box supported. Um, But it kind of gives an example of, like, hey, what if you wanted to have, like, you know, an App Store version, a beta version, and a debug version of your app, all installed on the same device at the same time? It's actually not that difficult to do that using Xcode configurations, right? So you can go into your project, um, and you're probably used to seeing uh, under the build settings for your project that there's a debug and release configuration, but you can make any arbitrary one you want, right? You could have a happy fun time. You could have production. You can have staging, whatever you want. Uh, and he goes in here and shows how you can do that, where you can create the configurations. And then once you've created a configuration, now you can start shoving in different you know values that you might want for those, right? So like a uh, bundle identifier or product bundle identifiers, but handles your um you know your bundle id for your app right so it's com.mtjc. happy fun time uh, normally but you could do that sort of thing like hey the app store one is com.mtjc. happy fun time. prod or you know same on so forth. dev. debug and so um that's actually kind of nice uh you know being able to compare like okay what do we have running that's you know, the production version of the app. Okay, well, what's the latest and greatest from our integration builds? Uh, maybe something like Buddy Build could be, you know, uh, taking part in this. And and also, like, oh, I also want to run something locally, but I don't want it to mess up any of the stuff that I've got on, which has irritated me to no end when I've not had the time to set this up before. So I kind of make it more of a regular habit to, to do that. And as he points out, you can do other things, right? You can change uh, the display name so you can sort of tell the difference between them, right? So iOS knows that all of these bundle identifiers are different, but if yours just says app, app, and app, you'll be like, which, what the heck, mm-hmm. which of these is which? I worked on a job that uh, they, they had different icons for each one, and that's how they distinguish them on your springboard. Hmm. Yeah, I've done that before too, where the the prod version is full color and the and the dev version is just like a faded gray or something like that. So it's really easy to tell. Right, and the the second blog post is using that for uh, other bits as well. Like, oh, these different builds or different configurations may or may not point to different server endpoints or API endpoints. So he gives another one of like his, you know, my API based URL endpoint, and you can just sort of pick that up in code. Um, 
I would say that the one thing I would caution folks, because uh, I've been running into this myself, is that uh, depending on your situation, using NS Bundle main bundle may not always give you what you want, right? Uh, I kind of prefer using NS Bundle bundle for class, um, you know, like self class or something, depending where you're at. And then if you're doing something that's not an app, like let's say you're like a CocoaPod or a Carthage item or an SDK or something, you can make sure you're grabbing things from your bundle and not from the hosting apps bundle. So oh. that's kind of it. Kind of a, something people may not have, either may not know or may have forgotten about. What's pick number four? <laughs> that, was, that was two picks there. Uh, <laughs> shadow picks. In there oh, too. they were both. Oh, oh, you were talking about both of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, the two blog posts. The They'll be in the show notes for those uh, driving. Cool. Yeah, 60 minutes thing doesn't load for me. But it has the transcript of the Yes, it does have the transcript. The story. And if you scroll down, let's see, maybe two-thirds of the way down, when they're talking to uh, someone named John Herring, they're talking about, they inst- well, they installed malware on the device that's broadcasting video of your phone, and the woman on the other end says, my phone's not even lit up. That's so creepy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't specifically say what type of phone it is. Curses. See it. I want to see it on the screen. Alas. Damn this country. Why don't you just, like, maybe when Trump takes over, he'll annex Canada. You know, I think that might be cheaper than putting up a wall. Yeah. And then and then we could just have 60 minutes. <sighs> okay, anyway. Is it us or them? It's it's us. It's us. Is it really? Well, it's, okay, it's them. You know, it's them in the sense that they don't want us to see it. Right. Right? So they're like, hey, you're not in, you're not in America? You can't spell you, you, color. What's wrong with you? Yeah. You know it's Z, right? So obviously you can't see. There's no Z in color. (laughs) There is now. Colors. (laughs) Colors. Okay. Uh, Mark, that was your pick, wasn't it? Just say yes. The 60 Minutes piece. Yes. Yes, that was mine. That was mine. Yeah, it was excellent. Well done. Good job, Mark. Awesome. Pick us, Tim. All righty. So I am about to ruin your lives. Well, a couple of days of your lives. Um, Have you guys heard of Black Box? No, of course not. Okay, so Black Box is... It should be a Jaime pick, to be honest with you. Well, was it from, does it look like it's um, from the 80s? No. Then no, <laughs> no, it shouldn't be. Oh, so it's not retro? Not retro enough for if him? If it's not retro, then no. So this, this, came out of, this came out of a tweet that I saw. I'm going to throw Lena from uh, FreshBooks under the bus, because she tweeted out about this, and I saw it. And um, so I downloaded it. I saw Rob Sr. also downloaded it as well, so um, he's from Taco. And... The score. He works at the score, lead developer there. So it's a very nicely written game. Starts off with a black screen and very minimal type and a little square on the screen that's called a light. And your job is to figure out how to illuminate that light. So, and there's, it's very minimal, it's a puzzle basically, but it's a very minimal amount of information you're given on the device. But it uses lots of things like accelerometer. Um, some of the some of the puzzles are mechanical, and some of the puzzles are, um, oh, what's the word? Um, but basically, it takes advantage of very many of the things that your phone can do that maybe you didn't even know it could do. And each so each one of these series of puzzles are it's very nicely written uh, color um, little color squares all grouped together based on different puzzles. Um, the very first one starts off with with six. Uh, red squares 
that you have to light up. And um, depending on how you hold the phone and twist the phone and tilt the phone, you will be able to be successful in illuminating these lights, right? And you'll get some points away for away for to do it. So some of them have to do with sound. Some of them have to do with location. Um, I'm giving away way too much information on on this already. Um, what I like about the app, though, as well as 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 you go in and out of um, the uh, each puzzle, it uses you know um, layout transformations to move the the puzzle pieces into place, and then to exit the screen normally or exit one of the puzzles, you you tap on the 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 phone anywhere, and it creates a hole, and then you tap again, and it goes it basically transitions back to the the main sort of springboard if you want to call it that but as well you can also if you tap on a, a color to go into the puzzle you can also uh, tap and hold and then drag out a, a circle and the circle will then reveal the springboard so from a user from a ui point of view it's very cleanly written lots and lots of good use of space and color and it's a very interesting app there's some uh, in-app purchases i've gotten to i've um, cracked 53 of these puzzles without in the last couple of days without having to pay a cent but there are some things that you can do so you may have seen a tweet from me there's there's a um, game center integration um, there's if you rate the app if you can you have to uncover the part where you can rate the app but when you rate the app on the app store you get um, some free hints and then you so each pu- each one of the puzzles comes with you can tap on a light and get a hint and then you can you know there's an app per- in-app purchase to buy the hint or you could just sort of use some free hints that you get with the app as you as you score or eliminate some of the puzzles so have you guys downloaded it yet i haven't but i will and i'm looking at the app store entry for this I'm looking at that too and I think it's a, a great example of where having um, a minimalist UI mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you don't have a complex UI or a complex design is probably the more accurate word yeah. to use. Yeah. Here, where it looks like they do some real nice, you know, fit and finish stuff is kind but of. But even what if I you even if you this. if you have the if you have if you go to uh, what is or blackbotpuzzles dot com on your on your mobile device, right? You'll get some of the sense of what I'm talking about because on the on the website when it opens up. On your on your desktop, it shows you half the screen is black and half the screen is red at an, on an angle. But when you open it on your device, that uh, division between the two colors kind of moves as you move your your mobile device around, right? So, um, and that's clearly HTML5. But um, it's it's really nice, and the, the sounds it's not super difficult to do. Um, but you know, some of the things have to do with the time of day. And again, I'm giving away too much. <laughs> Well, then stop it. Cut it out. Spoilers. Yeah, stop that. (laughs) What are you doing? Uh, Note that it's iPhone only. You look for this on your iPad and you're you're humped. Oh, does it work on the iPad? I'm sure it does. Well, I'm sure it does, but it would only be in 2X mode, you know? Uh, It does not have a native iPad app. Right, right. I'm not sure. Does it say when it was released? I didn't find that. I can check that right now. Um, Released. uh, The last update was on March 22nd. Mm -hmm. Uh, Version history... February 25th, it was launched. Right, so it's a relatively new app, right? It is a relatively new app. Yeah, I don't know how, how it was discovered, but, uh, you know, some folks at NSO... Word of mouth. Yeah, you think? How isn't it? Oh, yeah, so he, he does show in the, in the screenshots on the on the site that, you know, the idea is to think outside the box. And you can see that, you know, he's gesture, he's showing to gesture and uh, he's using the, the volume switch on the uh, in the graphic, right? So... 
happens something to do with the lightning cable nudge nudge wink wink okay stop you're giving it away you that one's a, that one's actually on the app store preview though yeah like, that last there. one was probably okay yeah yeah that, that, that came out in the movie trailer i think it's fine <laughs> <laughs> so okay good so thanks it, yeah it's definitely yeah sorry sorry to ruin your life playing this game hey, but you haven't done it yet let's let's report back next week and see how ruined our lives are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's, there's better than even chance i i look at the first two puzzles and i'm like nah well, if you're if you're if you're into puzzles and challenges and uh yeah it's kind of interesting so i feel like my job is a puzzle and a challenge i don't know how much uh, more of it i want it's a bit of a distraction bit of a diversion all right you've got a lot of commuting to do this is perfect for that I well guess. actually no it's not because you you know you you look like a, a strange person you know waving your phone around in the air trying to solve these puzzles well that's cool you are a strange person <laughs> and you don't you're not paying attention next thing you know you're in buffalo yeah 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 <laughs> yeah exactly all right so i guess that's it for the week and so aaron if people want to find you on the interwebs where would they look hmm Hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Twitter on this Ooh, one. I'm going to go with Twitter. I'm going to say at Aaron Vey. A-A-R-O-N-V-E-G-H. Ooh. Yeah, I know. And I'm in Whippy, Ontario. There you go. That's true you are. <clears throat> and uh, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Also on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Already. Somebody's playing the game. I can hear the sounds. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. So don't bother sending me an email because I'm playing the game, but uh, you can try it at markr at smapsoft.com. So how many how many, how many levels have you cleared so far? Oh, I just started. Uh, I did the very first one, and then it says these next five challenges are similar to that first one. I'm in the middle of that. So you did all six already? In no, the middle, I, man. No, no. I, I did like three. Oh you, haven't, oh, you didn't start with the red one. The red one was six. I didn't get that, no. Oh, okay. Does it vary? Yeah, well, no, I mean, you, yeah, the, the, the patterns are always the same. Like, the color patterns are always the same, but the, the solutions. Clearly, you're solving oh, something. Cause I, yeah, no, I just solved I, that one. I hear lights coming up. Yep. All righty, well, my anyway, name. Yep. <laughs> you skipped right over Mark, by the way. He said his name. No, I said my name. He didn't say his email, but okay. He did. did say my email. He did. He was busy playing the game. Yeah. Okay, can I go now? Mm, okay. All right, my name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and uh, that's about it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening.
all right, kids, I'm going to bust out of here. Shut I got a tub of icing to eat. Yeah, yeah so, I saw uh, that picture, yeah. Oh, come at me. So the whole spoon on the thing is how you know she loves you, right? That's exactly it. It was obviously put there for me. Hmm. Is, is today your birthday or something? No, 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 oh. no. Uh, my wife just made cupcakes for her class today. Oh, class, I see. Class I see. Such. So she uh, made cupcakes, and there's a little bit left in the in the tub. And so she put it in the fridge with a spoon on it for me gotcha. to discover. So I'm going to go take care of that business. I've got very serious business to take care of. And we'll uh, see you guys next week. Ciao. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Ruben, what's up? Hello. Not too much. How are you? You know... I only have a master degree, so peasant. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically that. No, you're not wrong. What's your master's in? Computer science or <laughs> no? <laughs> Publishing. So oh. uh, not even close. Not even close. Yeah, there was a time when I was gonna get into publishing. I was gonna be a magazine publisher. Wow. When uh, where did you go to for for publishing? Simon Fraser. Oh, really? Cool. It was cool. That. Boy, that was a hell of a year. Living on Burnaby Mountain. Mm-hmm. It's pretty sweet. With the only mosquitoes in Vancouver. Uh, no, you know, I don't recall there being many mosquitoes. Well, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that, you know how they say some people are like mosquito magnets? Yes. I lived in Vancouver for eight months. I saw one mosquito. It flew across the room and bit me, and I have four witnesses. <laughs> well, you got tasty blood. What are you going to do? Yeah. Or you, you produce a prodigious amount of CO2 when you exhale. Where I, wear all, where I wear all dark clothing. Yeah, that's possible. But uh, I was reading recently about mosquitoes and how they are uh, remarkable at sensing CO2 emissions. Uh, you know, their, their pattern of movement is to sort of hover high in the air. And then when they de- detect CO2 exhalations from any animal, they can detect from quite a distance and then zero in on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be that you are a prime source of CO2. Maybe. You know, Tim, you should, like, hold your breath more and save our climate. You are single-handedly causing the ice caps to melt. It's a lot of hot air. He's full of it. You're really quiet there, Jaime. It's okay. I just bounced in. I was uh, putting my picks of the week into... Always with the multiples. What is the matter with you people nowadays? It's a pick of the week. One pick will do. There's no need to show off. It's not showing off. This one's uh, actually kind of a little bit of a cheat because they're related. Um, but now, you're after seeing cheating. who was it? Like was it Eddie Q that went off on pluralization? Then I'm not sure if it's oh, picks no, of the week. Don't tell me we're or pick of the weeks. This. It is definitely picks of the week. But let's stop that right there. This is madness. <laughs> madness. Maybe it's X codes config, huh? Exactly. Split the S wherever you want. Hmm. It's like when, you know, we have Tammy on and it t- turns into grammar and pronunciation hour or two hours, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Show's getting long, Tim. <laughs> Were we an hour and 41 last week? We could have actually, well, after you left, we could have, uh, we could have done an entire show just on the conversation that Jaime and Tammy and I had. Yeah, and it was a thrill a second, man. I was listening to that on the treadmill this morning. Trust me, I threw tons of it out. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, why is this on the show? Uh-huh. You clearly never, never listened to Roundabout. No, actually, if if it's all like that. <laughs> what, what's your favorite color, Aaron? What difference does it make? Color is nothing to me. Doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so I'm not even going to take your. What's fate. your favorite word? My favorite word. I don't have a favorite word. What? Who's all, your Who's okay. your role model? Yeah, I don't have a role model either. 
Yeah, there's there's 13 questions they ask of their guests at the end of that show, but I can't ask you the 13th one. It's it's trademark. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> not even curious. Not even curious. Not even going to go. Not going to go there. Don't even need to. Yeah, right. T-shirt. What's that one? Oh, that's just me sort of saying. I think we should do. We should try to do a, uh, another MTJC T-shirt in time for WWDC, like we did last year, only a little earlier this time, and giving ourselves like a month. <laughs> so this is <laughs> earlier. I was about to ask you if it's actually yeah, no, possible it, you, for us to do. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember how the, what the campaign was last year. But anyway, I just thought you know maybe we'd we'd put the, maybe the puppy on the front and then put, like you said, W uh, the website or the podcast handle on the back. The puppy. Yeah, what puppy are we talking about? Yeah, the optional puppy. I don't know what you're talking puppy. about. <laughs> so I, think that should, I think Idiomatic Swift should be a different t-shirt altogether. Yeah, I, well, I, I just thought that would be, yeah. So now you know what I'm talking about, the Idiomatic. No. The, nope. the baby I have no book. idea. Oh, my God. I'm still puppy. I'm stuck on puppy. Okay, go go to the go to the more than just code pod, podcast web. What did I just say? <laughs> yes, as you said earlier the other day on on um, the Twitter machine, one snow, snowflake starts an avalanche, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, we are the number one podcast that comes up when you search for iOS development in iTunes. It's true, yeah. Except in the United States where the internet's broken. <laughs> Do we come up number one now on you guys? Yeah. Really? Oh. Because mm-hmm. we were third. When I, found, I, mean, when I first discovered that. I, I've not... You know, scientifically done this with a new iPhone out of the box and a new yeah. Apple ID. Well, it, that all, probably know maybe Apple has added like a recommender system. It's like, hey, it looks like you've downloaded this a lot. Why don't you use that? Yeah. Well, well it definitely does do that with apps. I know that my own apps come up much higher on the on the search than other apps. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. I was, I was going to say clearly nobody's interested in iOS development. That's why we come up so high. That's a joke. I, I think it just yeah. Analytic joke. Okay. So, uh, uh, is anyone actually going to WWDC this year? I was going to ask group? that. From this group? Nobody. Yeah. No, no. So what's, so, what's the point of the t shirt? <laughs> just so people, just so our fans can, you know, you know, whatever, play along. People wear it. I, play, ran, into, like I ran into a guy who was wearing one, uh, you know, in some random session. I think it was before, like, Core Motion or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. I wore, really? I, I wore mine at NS North on Saturday last, so. Yeah. Maybe we can give like an Ask MTJC challenge of wear your WWDC edition MTJC t-shirt yeah. and try to get a picture with friend of the show, Tim Cook. <laughs> <laughs> or, no, more, Craig Frederidi's more like it. You'll probably see him at the... At you know, any of those will count, you know, because... Anybody on the, on the, of the 12 on the executive board there? Where was I going? I was going to look at something. Uh, well, I, you were hoping oh, to explain to me what the puppy is about. Yeah, so go to more just code mtjc.fm. I'm there. And if you look for, it was a few episodes back. Uh huh. So yeah, some, I, another. I, I forget. You only use Twitter, you, you only use Twitterific, right? Is that? Yeah, right. That's the thing, right? So Tweetbot, actually, for what it's worth. But so, oh, hang on. Maybe just try Swift. There we go. It is in the chat. Oh, thank you, Jaime. Yeah, there you go. You've never seen that? Okay, so, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> the, you know, nothing, nothing. Like, there's... There's not a rise out of you at all. Nothing. Not okay. zero. Okay, Zilch. so so my wife actually found a book the other day. My granddaughter's turning one, years old, one year old. This one's, one, She's turning one. Let's leave it at that. And there actually is a baby board book on web development that she picked up for her. Okay. You know, so I, I, I've already gone through the alphabet and I've picked out, you know, you know, O is for optional, clearly, right? 
Um, and that's where this joke came from. And then the idea of putting, because put, Greg in one of his talks talked about the, the box, which is the optional, you know, and, and to find out if there's anything inside it, you unwrap it, right? And it may or may not contain a puppy was the reference. Wow. You are going all over the place. You've never heard this? this I actually said this on the show. Tim, yeah, we've we recorded hundreds that, of hours of programming on this show. <laughs> What's the topic? I mean, it is, it, it's definitely uh, meta Future for sure. Swift ad idioms. Oh. I tell you, if one I... of the show hosts doesn't get your joke, I don't think many of our listeners will. Oh, I'm sure plenty of them will. Lots of, yeah, people, yeah. Lots of people know about the puppy. Great. The blue dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, it, it seems like it might be big enough. Uh, and, it's, and it's already too late. If, you, if Canadians haven't got their taxes in by April 30th, it doesn't matter what we tell them now. Actually, business taxes, I think, are due later, like June 15th. Even if you're, yeah, I guess if you're incorporated or whatever? Yeah. Okay, yeah, this has to do with with how you cl- how you claim all the money you made on Magpie, Aaron, has to go on line 101 in the Canadian tax return. Even, <laughs> the, Ameri- even the American stuff. Yes, I know. <laughs> I just send that crap to my accountant. Yeah, I do too, so... But and it's, actually, it's actually, a joke. Can, well, the thing about it is, is that uh, I guess what people don't know is they can they can ask Apple to collect the HST for them yeah. and they file it. That's what they do for me. Here we go. Three dollars <laughs> a month that I send them, right? Yeah, a month. Shit, man. I'd be lucky to have that much. <laughs> Every little bit counts when we're trying to build that wall, guys. I don't know what you guys are. Yeah, yeah. About. You got to contribute. Uh, we're, we're, trust me. After today's announcement, we're going to the lumber y'all lumber yard now, getting all the concrete blocks we can. We're starting to build the wall now.